0: It's been just over a year since I began talking to people for this podcast. When it began, I was really nervous. I felt really vulnerable, opening up to people talking about such a sensitive topic and something that brought up so many difficult feelings for me. Listeners of this show will know that I felt angry, I felt sad, I've laughed and I've cried a lot. And though we've talked at length about grief being a messy personal journey with no linear path, I think the last year and two seasons of open and honest conversations have helped me arrive at a different place. I still miss my mom every single day, but I recognize my grief more. and know how to handle it a little bit better. This season on Death Becomes Him, I talk to people who've experienced unimaginable loss. Each of their stories is unique, but as always, there is one commonality talking about it is therapy on this episode of death becomes him I chat to Sarah Battle. Sarah is known for sharing snaps of her gorgeous home and family on her account house by the white but behind it all Sarah has been grieving her sister Kate Kate was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 2014 and sadly passed away 18 months later Sarah talks about living with grief and how she's learned to process Kate's passing through therapy and support from her family on today's episode of Death Becomes Him we have the lovely Sarah Battle. Hello Sarah. Hi Brian. Unfortunately, we can't do this face to face, so I we know. are doing it via Zoom. I'm kind of over Zoom now. Are you not kind of over Zoom and yeah. all this shit we've oh, been doing?
1: Yeah. Yes, and any more quizzes and oh, everything, everything. Actually,
0: I can actually say hand on heart. I, Brian dowling Guernon have never and did not take part in any quizzes online or I did not bake any banana bread.
1: (laughs) I know the banana bread really took off. I think everyone kind of morphed into Mary Berry there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't mind having Mary Berry's bank balance.
1: Yeah, I think that it's dwindled now. I think the enthusiasm for for all of that is...
0: Has gone way down. Welcome to Death Becomes Him, and thank you so much for being part of season three. I can't believe we're on season three already, and we're nearly one years old. It's been a quick year.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing, and congratulations as well. That's brilliant. Um, Yeah, it's been a really quick year, and I've been at home obviously since last March uh, because I've had twins. I had twins
0: last July. So it's been an absolute whirlwind for me, I suppose. The what last was year. that like? And I suppose last July in 2020 was the middle of COVID, right? It was the, it, at the start, we kind of weren't sure. And I feel like in the middle, we were probably more unsure. What was it like giving birth to twins in the middle of that, Sarah? I can imagine that was scary. Uh,
1: it was. But I do de- I, I, I think there was so much care given because obviously I was expecting twins the care was unbelievable so I was happy enough and it actually settled down a little bit in July so kind of shops opened up slightly and uh, I think we went down to level three maybe but it was fine the care was unbelievable and actually it was my nicest pregnancy and um nicest birth story actually out of all
0: Five are I Yes, called? so that's just because I was, cause when you're, um, what I said, I put out there to people who people want to see on the next season. It's a good way of gauging really what the mm. public, who the public want to hear from. And your name came up a few times and I was Googling and I was like, she's five children. I was like, she's <laughs> like five. And then I research in five years. And I thought, how the hell has she got five children in five years? You have five children.
1: Yes, five.
0: Um... I know (laughs) (laughs) you're now laughing yourself going Jesus how did I manage that
1: yeah I it does catch me by surprise like obviously all the time it is absolute chaos Um, Isabella is the eldest so she is five she won't be six until May of this
0: year Um, but I
1: suppose I didn't know I was going to have
0: twins and um, yeah like (laughs) but your husband is Barry has he got twins on his side or have you got twins on your side so well, my mum is a twin. Aha. Uh-huh. So, yes, that's what, that, that is where it's coming from. So, it's your mother's fault, Sarah. It's my mother's fault. I said that to her. We can blame her. I, I did.
1: I, I said it to her twice <laughs> that it's her fault. But, um, actually, it's funny because a few years back, I uh, actually went to a healer um the time my sister was ill. And we went to a healer outside Galway. And I had no kids at the time. But when I was leaving, he tapped me on the shoulder and he was like twins for you and I had no kids at this stage it was just right. so
0: bizarre so um anyways it all came through, true so. you probably left laughing going twins yeah, yeah. whatever <laughs> um but anyway
1: so I si- my I have another sister who lives in Dubai and uh she would love to have
0: twins and I was like well it doesn't mean that you're not going to have twins just because I had <laughs> a set wow Dubai sounds amazing have you been to yeah. visit your sister there I've been
1: twice. Yeah, it's fabulous. Absolutely gorgeous.
0: Yeah, it's on my list of places to go. I was hoping in 2020 that didn't happen. Now I'm hoping in 2021 I'll get a chance. Yeah, I just re cool Sex and the City 2 recently. Yeah. And it's given me a thirst for the Middle East. Oh, it's, it's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. How would you describe family? When I say the word family to you, Sarah, what does it mean to you?
1: Uh, well, Okay at the moment it means everyone being healthy and happy i think and being yeah. together yeah um i suppose we're on this podcast and I'm, I'm going to talk about kate my sister who passed away five years ago now mm-hmm. but i remember at the time brian um when she was just diagnosed with uh, brain cancer i remember Actually driving by a family who were walking down the street, and it looked like two sisters, and one was pushing a pram. And I remember thinking, like, I remember actually holding back the tears, thinking, I have, like that is has been taken away from us. Yeah. And I remember being so jealous. Um. So I think even watching them laughing and smiling, like just that interaction between family members and people being happy, and obviously your health is your wealth. Like if you don't have that, um you know, really, you don't, you don't have anything. Um, so, yeah, th- at this moment in time, it's it's my family being happy and healthy.
0: I remember when we lost our mum, and for us, it's it's three years, and I remember, I think, what you were saying about the anger and the jealousy. Mm-hmm. I believe they are all, I don't want to say phases, but stages of the grief process. So would you say that you are still jealous if you were to see families sisters engaging in that sense or has it changed for you in in the five years
1: um I I would still have that sense of wow you're so lucky you know you're so lucky when I when I do like lots of my friends obviously have sisters and everything and I think for me we have such a void in our in our lives as a family now because (sighs) You know, I I can't I'm trying to explain it now, but when you want to be happy in situations, but yet there's something in the back of your head and you're thinking this person should be here, or when she was um with us and she was quite ill, you, you hold back the happiness because it's like you don't know what to do. You you wonder, is this gonna make her feel bad? Or, you know, should we be happy around her? Like there was so many different situations that um God your head would be absolutely melted as I'm sure hers was as well like just trying to work out day to day how you are going to act
0: in a certain situation but it's also the unknown Sarah it's not knowing what's around the corner it's not knowing yeah. what tomorrow brings you're also dealing with with shock so tell me about your sister what was Kate like growing up
1: yeah um i'm smiling here she and I, I may cry, but um, no, she was... We allow tears on death that comes in. <laughs> we, we allow tears. We are chalk and cheese. Um, so I'm the eldest and Kate is two years behind me. Right. Um, and growing up, we shared a room. She was extremely sporty, um, as in would have made the football team, the boys football team in school. She was that good.
0: Wow. Um, Go Kate. <laughs> and, She's like a sporty um,
1: spice. Oh, she was she's unbelievable. She was a show jumper. she showed jumped to the r d s um like you know she she was just an all rounder and an absolute bubble of energy to be around um so then obviously she went to college to study nursing, and i was we were in different different areas of the country and then Kate. Moved to Dublin and she was nursing in Dublin. She travelled to Australia, so she travelled a lot um, over her time because that's just the type of person she was. And spent um, a while nursing in Australia and skydiving and deep sea diving and every single thing you can think of. Like wow, um,
0: go her! What inspiring.
1: I know, randomly went to Thailand with a girl from home who was really, really sporty as well. And they trek up mountains. And like, I I just, she did so much, but she had so, the thing that with Kate is she had so many friends, Brian. Right. Um, She had such a large circle of friends. And it's funny, even on Instagram, um, a girl just, I don't know what story I was telling one day. And she's like, are you... Kate sister, I played on the, the tag rugby team in Dublin with her and she sent me loads of pictures of the They won the whole league out and sent me loads of pictures of her, you know, with um with with the rugby team. And I was like, oh, my God, it's she just I think she was in so many people's lives. Um, and it's, it's so
0: amazing for you to receive those pictures and stuff yeah, you've not yeah. seen before. I quite like that. If I see a picture of mom that I've never, ever seen before, I'm so engrossed in that moment of what she was wearing, you know, who she yeah. was with and when it was. It's amazing to to have that.
1: Yeah. Um, and then I suppose coming up to her death, her, her, one of her best friends, um, So Kate actually was at home before she passed away, comfortable at home, which is what she wanted. But um, one of her best friends that she initially went to Australia with and this girl stayed on in Australia. She was a nurse. She flew home and straight off the plane came home to, um, I suppose, nurse her in the last few weeks, um, which was unbelievable. Like just a testament to Kate. And even her other friends in Australia, like just flew home a couple of weeks beforehand, and flew back again. So um, she, you know, she was a big part of a lot of people's
0: lives. Talk me through her diagnosis, or when she became aware that something was wrong, and there there was an issue with her health.
1: So it, I got married October twenty thirteen. She was bridesmaid and. I remember around the time she said she had pins and needles um in one one side of her body, like in her fingers and maybe like loss of power so Ellen, who is her daughter was um she was born in June, the June of 2013 and then my wedding was October, and she was kind of saying this and then I remember January of 2014 she was back nursing and she had got a really bad headache and right. That's when it all started, um, and they found a what what we heard at the beginning was she, she rang. I actually remember exactly where I was in Galway, and she was supposed to come down that weekend, and we were really excited to see um, Ellen and everything because we hadn't seen her in a few months. And she said they found a lesion on my brain, and that was the only thing she knew at that point. And I remember googling it and the worst thing came But off.
0: that's the worst thing any of us can do in a situation. Yeah. Is But you're trying to make sense of it and know what you're dealing yeah. with. But I can imagine that just sends fear, more fear and panic into you.
1: Yeah, it turned out she had a brain tumour. She had two brain surgeries. So the first one would have been a biopsy as such to um, to see if it was benign or, or malignant. And it wasn't good, obviously. And um, then she had... The surgery to take to debulk the tumor or take as much of it as way away as they could very tricky obviously working with your brain um i think there was 90 something percent resection of the of the tumor but she came out of the surgery pretty good like i, I remember being with my dad um case partner before the surgery and all of the complications that can arise uh, through a brain surgery like that was quite scary I suppose for her to hear um, but I knew she came out pretty good and but it was a long long road Brian from from that point. What year
0: was that Sarah?
1: That was 2014.
0: Okay. Um, so then it was 2015 in the September that she passed away. Were you quite hopeful after the operation when she came through you know, okay. Were you hopeful that we, that you guys had a number of years? Was that guaranteed? Was that mentioned? What was said after the operation or what was Kate thinking um, around her diagnosis at that point?
1: I suppose Kate being a nurse, um, she, they were living in Dublin at the, time, at the time, I'd say Dublin at the time, but she had asked the question herself, which I thought was very brave and they did tell her eighteen months is a good oh is a good luck. So goodness. she, I, I almost remember where I where I was where I, I you know I was exactly in time when, when um she told me this on the phone and you know you just kind of push these things to the side because you know she, we tried everything as a family and she tried everything to I suppose beat the odds or whatever it was like it's it's not a good prognosis as such with this particular type of brain tumour. Um, I think five years is a long-term survivor.
0: And how many months exactly did it, Kate get? It,
1: just, just the 18 months, I think,
0: yeah. And that's exactly what they told her? Yeah. Goodness, 18 uh, months, okay.
1: 18 months of hell, I would right. call it, for, for her. Um, I, can't, I, I have no idea, and I think this is what, in my head, I'm thinking half. I, I can't even imagine, Brian, what was going through her head every single day. I, I don't know how she she put on a smile. Um, she was so positive all the time. Um, now, obviously, she had her, her moments and you'd remember the breakdowns and the tears and everything. But, you know, she had a really supportive partner who was Ellen's dad, um, you know, and obviously she had a little girl as well. So, uh,
0: What age she, was Ellen at this
1: point? So Ellen was six months when the tumor was uh, was found. The eighteen months, <laughs> everything she she tried, she tried every single thing. Um, so she had to go through radiation, chemotherapy. She went to Germany for alternative treatment. Okay. Um, there was a lot, a lot of thing, a lot of
0: things. During that time, Sarah, were you hopeful, or were you? thinking to yourself when you love someone so much that you know kate inside out you know what she's like she's so determined you know she's so popular she's so focused she's going to beat the odds 18 months whatever we have her here for though for five years were you were you hopeful were you optimistic or were you realistic
1: uh very hopeful um i don't think i was realistic definitely not um maybe a little bit towards the end but No, at the beginning, um, we were extremely hopeful. We wanted to try everything as a family um, to get her through this. And there was time, like there were really, like we had a really good Christmas with her Um, in the middle of it all. Like she got good news from one of her scans that, you know, it was under control as such and we had a really nice Christmas. So you get, you do remain hopeful. Um, The only thing I could say is I, I found it, I found it hard to, you know, when, you, when somebody is, is sick, but you know they're going to get better. Yeah. Um, and you can say, oh, don't worry, you know, next month you'll be over this. I found it really hard to try and give her... Um, like, I would give hopeful advice, but like, you know, you will be here in the next few
0: years and and say all that. But sometimes it was just hard to find the right words. You didn't want to, to give her false hope or, or lie to her. She was your yeah. sister. You wanted yeah. to be as honest, but yet yeah, encouraging, but also not talk shit to her, I suppose, yeah. for want of um, a better word. Yeah, exactly. And you, I just found it
1: hard to comfort her sometimes because I did, as as you said, I didn't want to tell her any lies. Um, so there was a point then maybe when her walk would have deteriorated a bit from the surgery and everything and like do you think I'm getting it's getting better now with lots of physio and sometimes like I I would have to maybe say in that situation it definitely is and maybe I thought it wasn't but like those kinds of things play on my mind a bit and I I I felt I felt useless to to try and help her sometimes Um, I remember walking into the hospital one day with a fresh pair of pajamas. Um, like, everyone loves a fresh pair of pajamas when they're sick. But I was like,
0: is this all I can do to yes. make her better? Make- is this all I can give her? Yeah. <laughs> a pair of pajamas.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, like, on, a, on a regular day, anyone loves a nice, <laughs> nice pair of pajamas. But I mean, this, I, I was like, this is absolutely. It's a joke, like it's a nightmare. But this but, is-
0: but unfortunately, that was just the reality, Sarah, of the situation, yeah. and you were doing the best you could. As we said earlier in the chat, it was also the unknown. You're doing your best.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. And uh, like everyone did, like her, I've talked about her partner. Like he he was on. He's unbelievable. Like even um, at her funeral mass, I said it. Like we we would have been lost without him. Like he he's almost like a brother to us now or like um a son I suppose to my parents but he was like there's people maybe that would walk away from a situation I don't know um but he he just deferred his his college and um just got stuck in and did every single thing like the juicing in the morning everything like there was just it was
0: it, that we. he needs together. to come and live with me now and do juicing yeah. with me because I'm in need of some sort of juice yeah <laughs> i there did something did. <laughs> in 2021 <laughs> yeah Siri, you said how growing up you and your sister kate were a bit like chalk and cheese during mm-hmm. those 18 months after the operation did your relationship with kate change in in any way and did you tell her everything you wanted to get off your chest
1: yeah like we became so close not that we weren't close beforehand we were sisters but like sisters we would have had our fights and and everything else but I think this really gelled us together and yeah like I I just wanted to tell her all the time how much I loved her like that's (laughs) I'm
0: sorry Brian no, not at all. Like these conversations, Sarah, they're, they're not easy. And, you know, I found myself personally that talking helps. I found there's great, great solace in talking. And my philosophy is talking is therapy. But yeah. every time you have these conversations, especially on this podcast, you're yeah. having to revisit those memories and those situations that are not comfortable and the word that i use only recently is it's sad it's incredibly sad
1: i just remember even telling someone um like my my friend and i was like it's such a sad story and it's it's like it's it's our story to tell which i couldn't believe like you know even walking around I' go for walks if I had her little girl or if I was minding her for a few days, and I would walk around. but I remember one day even I just felt so lost um that I wanted to talk to someone and I, there was a hospice center where I was living like a a uh, hospice and um, I just walked in and I just broke I remember breaking down at the at the counter and I think the the lady on reception was like what like she and she called one of the counsellors which had no I shouldn't even have been in there like um but she took time her time to bring me into a room and you know have a chat with me. But I remember thinking, she's I was so lost that day that I just walked into this place because I, I needed somebody to to help me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's just funny that there was a counselor there at the moment, and she had another appointment with I don't know um, somebody else, and she just said, "Come into this room, and we'll have a chat." But I I just I like a you can completely lose yourself at times. I think when you think back of when I think back to the times, I I had all the tears, but all the times I did tell her that I loved her and. You know we talk about so many things and yeah, like
0: it's, just, it's sad as you said, it's just a really sad story. What age was Ellen exactly when um, her mom passed? She was three. Do you think, in a sense, being so young is a positive thing? Because I mean, it's also a sad thing then, because she may not fully mm-hmm. remember her mom. But I'm saying a positive thing being so young because. The grief and the trauma and the shock probably won't resonate yeah. as much, or you think no it's it, it's it's sadder. I'm just trying to find is there any sort of way where her being young was probably a help for Ellen herself personally when she grows older
1: um Ellen she's a very sensitive girl so she she does actually remember a lot um, oh, amazing, yeah, and she remembers just different things that. Kate would do um you know if they're in the room together and and different things but uh yeah I think it's easier when when you when you are younger but I also think it's important maybe for Ellen as she does get older that she has some kind of outlet maybe to chat about it um I know her dad is great great with her and she's surrounded by us Kate's family um, and surrounded by love so I think that's that's easier but she still has no mum, which is another sad thing, you know, yeah. and, um, I think when you when you start primary school and and other kids like this is what I'm thinking, you know, other kids have their mums or, you know, you go to sleepovers and the mum is there. Like maybe, she, you know, in a sense that she will miss miss that, miss out on that.
0: But luckily she has an amazing auntie like you <laughs> that can step in. Yeah, <laughs> and advise on all important things like communion yeah. dresses, Deb's dresses, boyfriends, first kisses. Or, yes,
1: exactly. I suppose, yeah, that she is a bit that she was that young. It's, it might be easier. Was that mm-hmm.
0: your your instinct when you'd lost Kate was to yeah. get back home?
1: Definitely. Um, I think you realise whenever when you have such a big loss. I'm sure you felt the same that your family is all that matters at that time. Um, and i just even remember throughout her her illness and it's of no fault of other people but you you'd meet them on the street and they'd say how are things and you'd end up telling them the whole story but you'd be left shattered And they would, that's the one thing I found really hard. They would walk off and go back to their...
0: I know. I'm here laughing because you're totally right. It's so draining. You know, people are obviously being nice and being polite. But I remember thinking to myself, you'd end up telling 100 people, you know, that same draining, honest story and they'd yeah. walk away and go back to the cinema or off to a kid's party and you'd be like a wreck at the end of the day shaking in the corner watching coronation street like, yeah
1: <laughs> like absolute wreck so I, I started to just say oh she's doing really well thank you and that was it um yeah. you know i just i like i'm sure all my family members are like that but it or i started even hiding like i wouldn't probably go of the town or wherever I would be I'd nearly avoid um avoid people but you realize your family is your bubble and and Kate said that like she said this is all that matters to me is that you're you're here and you know that we're all together because with the best will in the world people can you know are very helpful and everything but I think she found that a little draining sometimes as well that she would have to explain her story um
0: a lot you know did Kate know she was dying, and was she scared? Uh, I she
1: she did. I she did know because the last time we were in the hospital, so she had many many times that she entered through A and E, and it was horrendous because she'd have to rehash her medical details and what was wrong all the time I just couldn't understand how somebody couldn't type in her name I I, I still can't I don't know do they do that but it, I just couldn't understand why she would have to explain this to every like it could be Amy in the middle of the night and to explain the whole story but um, I remember the last time she said this is the last time I would be in hospital I remember her saying that mm-hmm. and I remember her palliative care not a palliative care nurse, the oncology nurse to her her surgeon or a consultant. Kate had actually done a lot of triathlons with her, um, coincidentally, and she asked her, "What will it be like near the end?" Oh, look, I, it was absolutely like I think I was yeah I was the only one there I think at that point my dad and uh, Kate's partner were with the oncologist and he was telling them this was this was the end. Mm. Um but the nurse was like, "You were so brave to, to ask that, um, and she said, we'll, "We'll have you as as comfortable as, as possible."
0: You know, as everyone knows who's listened to this yeah. podcast, our mom passed away in our sleep. Our mom wasn't sick, there was no trauma, there was no mm-hmm. accident. you know, she just went to sleep and, and didn't and didn't wake up, and the further I go on doing this podcast, I think to myself, how lucky we were. what a blessing. That was you know yeah. when i 'm listening to kate 's story and the trauma you as a family that are still going through we didn 't we didn 't have that, and I think even though we would have got the eighteen months that you had got with Kate for us for Mam to go in the way she did i find I, I find that quite soothing I hope i 'm making sense and not Ooh. insulting you by saying that yeah. but, or you know upsetting you, but i I find great comfort actually is the word I would use it was no eighteen months of I can, I can can presume the one word would have been, you're all living this hellish nightmare. Yeah. I mean, you probably couldn't even sleep properly for those 18 months for fear you'd get a phone call in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah, it it, it was, it was, it was like, I can't, as I said, I cannot imagine what she was going through every single day and waking up every morning to that. Um, But, you know, even to watch your parents um, with the child, like it's, it's.
0: How are your parents? How, um, how how are they? How how have they coped? You know, in, um, in, in, with all they're, of
1: it. They're like they they're, they get on with things and they're good now. But there's always like there's a huge huge void. Um, definitely, like just. I'm sorry. I'm just like yeah. It's it's um it's just not I don't think it's easy for any parents to lose their child. No,
0: we always say it's one of the <laughs> well, coolest things right, that can I, happen.
1: Yeah, it was so wrong really to happen. Um, We are so blessed to have Kate's Ellen, like absolutely blessed that we will always have a piece of Kate, you know, in Ellen. And if she goes on to have her own kids, we will, you know, we'll always have that. So in in a sense, that's, that's amazing.
0: I don't think there's ever enough time, Sarah, is there, whether it's 18 months or 18 years, you know, you're still going to grieve the loss of that person. And I fully Mm -hmm. believe when someone you love dearly, the way you loved your sister. I do believe a piece of you goes with them. And I kind of think it's the right thing in a way. Yeah. I'm kind of glad that a piece of me has gone with my mom. So I know she has some of me and my, my sisters and our family with mm-hmm.
1: her. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. Like, do you do you think that you've lost a piece of yourself, like in a,
0: I won't say in a bad way or like in a in a sad way, I think basically I think I'm a sadder person as it yeah. goes on because I you know every day that i I get up i I don't have a mom and there's still days yeah. that I will go and or I'll go on Instagram and I'll read her private messages and it it just it just breaks my heart and i i do I do laugh I laugh now but I don't laugh in the same way because I'm not as carefree i'm a, yeah. I'm a little bit damaged now because of What's happened to me? You're trying to find words, aren't you? And you're trying to describe Mm -hmm. it in a way that helps me with my grief. That helps me and my sisters, you know? Because there was days, Sarah, that I, you know, I couldn't get out of the bed when it happened because I was just in complete shock. And you're so, you're so sad. And there's a really self-indulgent side to grief as well, I think. And some days you really have to snap out of it. And I remember at one point, I hadn't showered for like two or three days. And Arthur was like, get in the shower. Like, I think he was going to push me in with my pajamas on me. You know, (laughs) like, this is like only like a week later. He's like, get in the shower. And it's those simple things that when you're forced into that situation, it's amazing what a shower can do, brushing your teeth can do Mm -hmm. and putting on a t-shirt and a tracky bottoms and going for a 10 minute walk.
1: Yeah, like, I definitely, I totally agree with everything you said there. There's a piece of all of us you know, a piece of me that's gone that I, you know, like, as you said, kind of damaged or you're just, you can't be happy about some things and I've lost a little bit of happiness. Um, And then I think it was when Matilda was born, I spoke about that on another podcast, like the grief caught up with me and probably ended up being a little bit of postnatal depression, but I was so bad, Brian. I can totally relate to that, not being able to get out of the bed um Just like completely, like my chest was going to close in on me. Um, and it was probably because I had, like, obviously kids one after another, and her funeral, then kids. And then it was like I hadn't dealt with anything. And it just all came on top of me. And um, that was it. It was, it was, I just broke down completely. Um, but I would say grief. Uh, you know, cause the whole lot of it. And and that's okay if you recognize it because, yeah, there's yeah. so many stages to, to, to grieving and you have to go through all of the stages, I think.
0: I think it's what you just said, that the word there I would use and agree with you is recognition. If you can acknowledge and recognize that you're going through this situation and you're acknowledging how you're feeling, but also mm-hmm. for yourself to go through pregnancy with twins, you know, three other children, over those five years, your body is going through so much. And mm-hmm. then with your sister, your heart is going through so much. And then yeah. you've got your brain is going through so much. And do you mm-hmm. think the trauma of losing Kate almost didn't help with it, that it was all because of that, that tragedy?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. It was all. It was, yeah, it was all. It was all because of that. It, it just all caught up with me. And I remember speaking to a psychotherapist, and she I mentioned this before. She um, did kind of a timeline, just to get um, an idea of what had happened in the last few years. And every single thing was muddled up. I, I even the ch- the years the children were born, like nothing made sense. Mm. Um, and she wasn't trying to catch me out. It was just my head was so jumbled up that I hadn't processed anything I don't think um and I was just so sad I was I'm heart, like heartbroken I and as you said reading back on Instagram messages from your mum and like I do that and I, like I still ring her phone like I know her voicemail is gone now but I like I said, maybe it's back now or I check through all our whatsapps you know and the last messages she sent and like just those kind of things,
0: like just, I do, I do that a lot still. So I, I think you need to do, do you that. Think, do you think that's a good thing for you to still be doing that? Do you think it's something you will always do?
1: I think it is something I will always do. Um, I'm, I don't know if it's a good thing. I'm sure there is research out there in inverted commas or somebody will tell me, it, you know, you should maybe not do that. I don't know, but it, it helps me and it, it helps. I love remembering the, the little conversations we had because... There there was one thing about Kate, she was always so positive. She never gave out um, during that time. Never, um, never said a bad word about anybody. Not that she would have, you know, but didn't speak badly about anything. Everything was positive. And I think I love looking back at her messages because it it wasn't doom and gloom, if that makes sense. It was, you know, there were lovely messages. she we we lived in Galway at the time and she'd actually moved home but during her sickness and she loved coming up to Galway. It was like her little holiday. So I love reading about, you know, she was coming up for the week and what we do and, you know, um what we would eat and like just random things like that.
0: When you're saying that to me, I'm actually sitting here smiling because I completely get what you're doing and saying it's almost like playing pretend with yourself again like you're a child yeah. and yeah. I'm I would do the exact same thing and read messages and I'd be Smiling and laughing and going around and making a cup of tea. And for those 10, 15, even five minutes, whatever it was, I'd feel content and I'd, I'd feel happy. But then I would yeah. have that kind of plunge where you go, oh shit, yeah, she's not, she's not here. It's the reality, yeah. the reality yeah. of it all. What was it that made you, Kate, go and see the psychotherapist? And did you find that beneficial to your grief?
1: Um... Well, I had to to go to the GP because I just was crying all the time. I think my mother was fresh. She was like, you you just need to go to your GP. And she just took over everything at the time. And then they uh, recommended that I recommended a psychotherapist. So I went and yeah, I thought it was I thought it was very good. Um, I did the sessions towards the end. I felt I had talked enough and had unraveled as much as I needed to um, and give me some perspective and I felt much better. So I think that was you know, I, I did come to my end point with it. Um,
0: but it did was Did you find did you find a resolve then at the at the end point?
1: Things started to make sense and um, yeah, definitely. And I I got got out of it. Now I won't say like sometimes the anxiety is there or I I started to kind of had irrational thoughts on things and I think the reasoning behind that was I remember as I said I googled when Kate first don't
0: google Sarah
1: they're the rules I know Dr. Google but anyways the the thing was that it actually came true that the worst thing I looked up was what she ended up having so it might like that can happen so you know I don't google and you know it's not
0: true it's curiosity we're always going to do it Yeah, exactly. It is so important
1: to get help. You know, some people don't. It is important that there are people, that people are out there and there is definitely help there. You might have to go through a few psychotherapists or a few counsellors or chat to a few different people. But I I do believe you'll find the right person to help you unravel things or get you through a a bad patch.
0: I've said to people, I'm not a professional. I'm not a counsellor when it comes to grief. I'm just being honest with everyone on this Mm -hmm. podcast about my journey and what helps me, you know, Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. And talking has really, really helped me. And sitting down with everyone on all the different episodes of this podcast has helped me so much to be able to relate to other people. It makes you feel like I'm not alone and I'm not going mad. Because sometimes you think you're Mm -hmm. going bonkers that how you're feeling is so alien to everyone else. And yeah. it's not. It's called grief.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I totally, I, I totally get that. Like, I I think everybody has a story to tell. And, you know, as you said, talking is, is therapy. And I find that me talking to a complete stranger actually helps me better than talking to somebody really close to me. In a way, I think when I if I was talking to a close friend, I've how do I explain it that I am again it's the jealousy thing because maybe they haven't experienced it or that you are you're putting yourself into such a vulnerable spot and and sometimes I hate people saying I'm so sorry I can't believe that happened to you Um, I get really uncomfortable nearly nearly with that and talking to a stranger I find so helpful and Not a stranger, but somebody who you don't, who wasn't living in the situation with you. Um, I I find it really helpful.
0: Do you think there's, I don't know, shame is the wrong word. There's no shame in grieving. That's the wrong word. But I'm Mm -hmm. looking for a word. Is there embarrassment? Were you perhaps embarrassed? Because I can kind of get what you're saying. And one of the reasons for doing this podcast was because. Maybe there is shame, maybe shame is the correct word. I felt there was a shame in being so honest and talking about your grief, and maybe I was embarrassed to tell people I'm so sad, I miss my mammy and i'm forty yeah.
1: i i to, I get that as well um I don't know is it is a shame or is it just that are you are you do you do you want people to see you so vulnerable um th- th- I think that's maybe how I felt that. And then they I, I i hate the pity party yeah. <laughs> like
0: I, I, and they might um, judge you differently as a friend, or yeah, your friendships thinking, may change if if you bear your soul to them as such yeah. um and they,
1: so there so there's there's different things I can't really verbalize what what i what i'm what I'm thinking, but and obviously all of my friends are so supportive, but it's easy I always found it easier to talk to
0: somebody I didn't know that well. No, I completely get that. And I completely understand that because there's probably no judgment. Yeah,
1: I think he's had it. Yeah,
0: it um... Our friends need to stop judging us, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> did you find when you talked about your, the postnatal depression side of it, were you uncomfortable talking about that or were, were you quite vocal and honest? And did you differentiate from the grief and the postnatal depression or did you tackle them kind of both on as, as one united thing?
1: So first off, I was extremely uncomfortable, uncomfortable talking about it, and I like—is it a taboo? I don't know. Is there something attached to
0: it? Where you know, where is it the shame the, word again? Is it the fear? Yeah,
1: like is it is it that people are going to judge you again? But I I was really I was really uncomfortable, and before I set up my page, I, I probably wouldn't have said it to many people. I don't even think. To myself, I would have called it postnatal depression. I don't think I've ever, I ever said those words until um, very lately, when it was definitely that, but probably brought on by grief. Mm-hmm. So I definitely tackled the two head on together. Um, they, they went hand in hand. I definitely believe that. Yeah, it was, it was very uncomfortable for me to chat about, even maybe saying it to to Barry as well. Um,
0: it, it was. Do you remember <laughs> how? Do you remember how that? Conversation went with Barry, and what was his reaction?
1: He was uh, t- taking over a lot of things, and my mother had stepped in, and she, you know she was she was trying to say to him in a in a different way, maybe she, baby blues or you, know, you can put
0: yes, uh, certainly, a mammy could say it's just the baby blues. Don't worry about it; it'll pass in a day or two. Um,
1: but when when I wasn't fully in my role as a mom it's the way I I normally am like get up in the morning you know get straight into it um when I wasn't doing that like you know he it had to be it had to be said and I had to get help I had to ask for help of
0: course and there's no shame in asking for help I've always Mm -hmm. said that
1: and I feel I feel much better for talking about it because there was that worry when the twins are born in July like would this happen to me again like I was so unsure because it did creep up so quickly but um I think everybody was on high alert and um thank you know thank god it, it worked out It was, it's
0: fine I mean I'm here laughing people must have been so worried and it's twins and they were yeah. like oh Jesus Christ guys Well, get ready get ready get ready yeah they're all fearful going how are you today Sarah (laughs) maybe you're you're handling your grief differently so when you had the the twins this time you were probably in more control potentially of Mm -hmm. your grief your emotions and how you were feeling yes
1: like I've gone I've gone through another stage probably of the grieving process so it's it was much clearer, and I, I probably could separate it out a little bit, you know, that it was grief. And I like I want to to go through all the the grieving stages, so I don't want to just say, listen, that's parked from the last time, and I dealt with it because, as you said, you never it's it's going to stay with you for forever. Um, that that piece, but I was able to separate it out as such and um work work on it that way.
0: Because I remember the Joker. My friends and I was, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, everything's fine. And we lost our mom in February and I turned 40 in the June and we weren't supposed to have a party. And then we did have a party. My sister's like, get out there, do it. Mom would want us to kind of, you know, to live our, our lives. And I was like, I'm fine. You know, I'm not emotional. And we're like, we had a free bar. Well, Sarah, I was knocking back Sambuca at one o'clock in the afternoon. I was a holy mess. And there's a picture of me at my party wearing a gorgeous pink suit. And it looks like in the picture, I have no teeth. My eyes are crooked and I look like I'm wearing a wig and it's falling off. And this yeah. is like six o'clock in the evening because what I had done was I had buried that grief and saying, so what? It's my 40 and it's my party. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. Give me a bottle of champagne having my Mm -hmm. hair done. And then it started to unravel and my friends after that had to take me aside, you know, at different times and say, are you okay? And that, you Mm -hmm. know, and then grab your hand. You know, like when your best friends grab your hand, you're like, Mm -hmm. don't grab my hand. You're going to make me cry and I'm going to have to tell you what's really wrong. (laughs) But honestly, I I try to kind of, brush it under the carpet to speak or so for, for three or four months. But I'm so glad it, it was so beneficial to me that it happened only a few short weeks after we lost our mum because if I'd carried that with me for a year or for two years or for three years, grief is just, it's like a disease. And yeah. I almost feel as you don't want it to win, but you want to feel it and I want to live it and I want to experience it, but I want us to be friends. Grief and I have to be friends. It can't be my enemy.
1: That's that's you've hit the nail on the head. Like you're you're actually so insightful, insightful about this, Brian. This is like exactly how I feel, and I've I've definitely gone through that. Um, shots at, <laughs> at one
0: pm of the day. If you were and hearing the- me now, Sarah, let we'd have a tequila. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done that at
1: a friend's wedding. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah it's not too good for me you're so right you're so right you, you do need grief to be your friend um, and like you hear of, of people who have lost maybe a partner or a husband or a wife or a loved one and then they die very quickly afterwards and they say they die of a broken heart and I can so see that how that could happen um, you know people's like that's that's silly but I can actually see how that how that happens
0: yeah it's like it gets hold of them and controls mm-hmm. them and fills their heart and it's you do, and sometimes you hear it with, with, with older people. If mm-hmm. um, a woman passes, then the husband passes. And I've always thought it's kind of romantic, but that's looking at it through rose-tinted glasses. Yeah, it's yeah. so, so sad. Because you had that 18 months with Kate, was, you know, did, did Kate talk about her funeral? Did she plan her funeral? If that was the case, that must have been quite uncomfortable.
1: No, that is one thing she never, never, never discussed. Right. Was um, any of that? No letters. Um, you know, people, you, you hear people might write letters, or they might buy presents, or they might journal a little bit, or they might be involved in their written arrangements. But there was that was never, and that was just because she just never went there with that. So I. I'm sure that was so difficult for
0: her. I'd say that it was in her head and it was so, so difficult for her. Were you surprised that she didn't go there? Or do you think she was so hopeful and positive that she just couldn't open that door to have that conversation?
1: I think what you just said there, she was so hopeful and positive that there was she wasn't going there whatsoever. Because I think she did a lot of mindfulness and meditation, which was something that got her through the illness. And she she was so deep I think into into meditation that she could close off certain doors I remember her telling me this and that that is what kept her focus like if you had any bit of hope that she would get better but she that's the thing she she knew she probably knew she did know it was the end but yet she wouldn't let it get get win over I I believe that that
0: she just didn't arrange anything because it was she just wouldn't let it happen i think also it's fear i'm mm-hmm. af- i'm afraid of dying i'm afraid of of passing away so yeah, i can like completely it, understand how your sister would feel like that
1: and i i know that we would have wanted her to maybe write a birthday card or something um my mom i think would have would have wanted that i, I think it was maybe said once but once and then nothing happened, so it wasn't brought back again. But I, I, I would just say it was really painful for her to, to, to know maybe you're leaving a little, your little girl, or, you know, the, yeah. there's things like I, I, I sometimes I wondered what what was going through her head because if I had always tried to put my seventh situation in situation and I would
0: have been a disaster in comparison to how she she handled things. Um, she sounded incredibly brave Sarah like right up until the end and so inspiring and so positive and in a sense I think the reason maybe she didn't leave those cards for Ellen was to create pain and trauma for her so by not doing it she took on the brunt herself as her mother right to the end because yeah. you can imagine leaving those cards for Ellen Ellen would have pain and you know sorrow yeah. and you know all the coulda, shoulda, would is in her life. But by not leaving those things, she took the brunt herself.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably it. Um That's the thing. Like I, I don't think we'll ever know. You know her no. her, her thought process behind it. But it would have definitely been not. You know, it wouldn't have been selfish or anything. It would have been as as you said, maybe that people didn't have any pain or sorrow. Yeah. You know, as it, you know, um, but I remember she passed away at home and she was very very comfortable. But our, we had a basement under our house and I was downstairs and I remember getting the knock on the on the floor and it had come through the ceiling. And I said to Barry, "This must be it," you know, the palliative care nurse was spending each night in the house. So I ran up the stairs and Mum was like, "She she's she's woken up." Um, so she had been in a, a deep sleep. Um, And we thought that was it, and Mum was like, "She's woken up, she's woken up," and we were so excited. I remember going into the room and I said, "I love you, Kate," and she said, "I love you too," and that was the last words that she spoke to me. Mm. But I also know that she, her, she was so with it, you know, she was so with it that she, Ellen was sleeping beside her in her cot, that she did reach out and you know, rubbed her hand all over her. So she knew, you know, this was, I'd say in her head, she knew this is what I need to do. Like, I just want to, you know, touch my little girl
0: and and know what so she's saying. sad, there. Sarah. It's heartbreaking. Mm. Honestly, it's so sad. And when you hear all these stories, it makes me be so appreciative of life. And I know life is pretty shit unanimously for everyone with the whole COVID situation. Mm. But when you hear stories like that, we're all still blessed and lucky in other ways Mm -hmm. aren't we that we're still here and we still have our health and our families and our loved ones around us
1: exactly and you have to you have to just probably embrace you know all of that and I suppose because I'm on social media you might get but you know how is every how are you so positive every day or how do you you know everything seems so rosy like obviously everyone has their own burden but if I'm up all night with the kids I'm up all night with the kids like I think you just have to get over it and kind of realise that you are lucky that you can stand up all night with your with your baby. Um, some people just aren't getting that chance to do that. Now, obviously, you know, I do have my, my meltdowns, but I try to be as positive and maybe take the happier side of the situation. And also,
0: you know with your eldest child being five with the younger ones, it is just a phase. They do hopefully grow out of it and, you know, Mm -hmm. becomes less pressure on you as a parent doing night feeds or breastfeeding or all of that.
1: Yeah. So it is
0: a phase. Um, Talk to me about Kate's funeral. How did you find that whole process?
1: Um, I thought the funeral was a whirlwind. So as I said, she passed away at home and, the, the few I think it was 10 days before she passed away we our house this is the way we dealt with it our house was full of people so all of her friends um she had her, her nurse friends came in even a girl was on her holidays from her her work holidays and she came down and took over that role there's so many people that took over roles within our home it was it was like we're all big one you know one big happy family as such and she would have friends in meditating at night, people sitting on her bed telling stories. Now she was asleep for all of this. So it was so lovely in that sense because I felt that that was nearly the funeral. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the funeral came and it was, you know, you need to make these arrangements and she was there at home. But I i didn't, in a way, I, I felt so removed from that, that part of it. And I did speak um, at the church. And then I remember even going into the into the church, and there were so many people. You know, they had to stand back, and so many people trying to t- talk to you and everything. It just flew by, and then the burial. But I at the burial, I remember the one thing I remember, we were all in different cars, and when we arrived at the at the graveyard, um, there were so many people again. But I my dad, my my father was there and he just grabbed all of us. <sighs> And Bruce brought us all together. Mm. I just thought you know that's that's the one thing she said to Dad and I and her partner, just you know the last time she was in hospital, she said, We have to stick together, yeah, and you know it was it was a lovely moment. I think she would have been so proud of that. That we were all kind of in an embrace with like so hundreds of people, hundreds. I don't even know how many people were there, but that we were all in an embrace together. That nobody, you know, when you get out of cars and someone can pull you in one direction. And, yeah. But um, it was it was a lovely moment that I think she would have been so proud of. But going back to what you asked about the funeral, I think, you know, it, it was it had passed so quickly for me that I, I treasured the time leading up to it more. Right. Um, the stories that were told about her, everyone being around, because that's the way our house is. It's, Parry calls it like Grand Central Station. We yeah. always have people, like,
0: friends, like growing up, our friends always call Or it's the, the same open door policy, no. my no. mom would have everyone in. No.
1: Everyone and like mum's friends and you know like it it was a really busy busy house growing up and it was lovely that that's kind of the way it was towards the
0: end as well. Do you still talk to Kate?
1: I I would and I I remember her voice so clearly. Um, we are very alike. Uh, we sound alike when I listen back even to voice notes or whatever. We sound alike. We look alike. Um, but yeah, just I I would have chats with her and I'd wonder. I think she would be laughing so much at me with five kids. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, seriously,
0: Sarah, stop! Sleep in separate rooms. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> um, she would be having a big cocktail wherever she is, or having a good drink and uh, having a good laugh. And that is for sure. Like sometimes I chat away, and it's like Kate, how is this? what what has happened or you know and she I I picture her or I listen to her response that I know she would say um even before I had Alexander I remember I had to get down from Galway to visit her grave to have a chat with her I had to sit there um you know there's just different times and I've had one very vivid dream just one and she was wearing a pair of bright red wellies and she was running off the distance but she turned back and gave me a big smile and
0: I uh, thought that was lovely. I wonder why the red wellies? <laughs> where was <laughs> yeah. she running to wearing Wellington boots, Sarah?
1: Such, such uh, I suppose, we grew up. we grew up on a, like a farm and we did a lot right. of show. You know, we've got a lot of horses. But that's where you always used to see her. She was such, she was in mucking out all the time and show jumping and everyone would have her show jumping their horse because she was so good and um, I just always remember her in a pair of wellies but they were particularly bright red I was like she's delighted with herself
0: but isn't it this, isn't this so funny that did you find that, that vivid dream that you had did you find that brought you peace yeah like
1: it was just when she turned her head and looked back um, and smiled I, 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 loved, I loved that I really did
0: you were saying about wherever she is she's having you know a, a large drink or a big cocktail where yeah. do you think she is.
1: I would like to say heaven. Um, am I overly religious? I believe in something. Um, I think it's, it can be very hard these days to to put. She, she didn't certainly didn't have all of her faith in the church. Definitely not. Um, but she had a very strong spiritual connection with something so i i i don't know i don't know brian i don't know i would like to say heaven but i don't mm-hmm. know if, if that what she, the word she would use right. if that makes
0: sense but she's a, she's around you yeah she, she's yeah 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 she is around us um, wearing her red wellington boots
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and having a big drink Or, you know, I don't know, skydiving or doing a triathlon or whatever she's doing. Yeah, she's she's happy.
0: For anyone, Sarah, that will be listening to this episode and is struggling. What advice would you give them?
1: To talk to somebody. uh, Go either. I don't know if you're if, if you're feeling really, really low, maybe go to your GP and perhaps a counselor or a psychotherapist or talk to if you feel comfortable talking to a friend or maybe someone that's not so close to you but I I do think you need to get some form of help or some clarity on the grieving process and how to to go through each of the stages and it could that'll be forever it's I, I don't think you can put an end point on that but you can put a start point on it.
0: And when you were saying there about the funeral, how big it was, and there were so many people. Can you imagine if that was to happen now or during a level five lockdown, how lucky we were to have those send-offs for our loved ones? Imagine the other side of that, of not being able to have that time with Kate and have that, those big funerals and those, those things that filled you with, I suppose, not joy on the day, but happiness and content. And being able to comfort each other and hug each other.
1: Oh, I've thought about this so many times. I I can't even imagine the heartache that some people are going through. And even as I said, she was at home for the the weeks beforehand. Can you imagine the the PPE gear and the just the lack of the warmth and love that she was showing shown by the nurses? And I know that that is still there. But people have to there's there's nearly that screen up all the time. Yeah. And then the funeral, it's such a lonely place when you need like no man is an island. They're not, you know, you need your community and you need people to come around you and protect you. And it, it has been taken away from people, which is really, really sad these days. Like that is just the saddest thing I think that has come out of this pandemic.
0: I think that what that'll do is it it'll people will struggle understanding their mm-hmm. grief. You know, because yeah. I think the funerals and all of that, they allow you to emotionalize it and I, I think it helps you with the process and yeah. not to have that. I think people will really struggle with their grief more so.
1: Yeah, completely. Um, I, I've, I can't even imagine now. I, I know one of my friends' dads passed away quite suddenly and we had to stand outside the church yeah. because of 25 people at I just thought, you know, even when somebody needs a, like a tap on the shoulder or a hog or, or something, it's, you can't, you can't do that anymore, and it's
0: really, really sad. Like, how are you homeschooling all of those children, Sarah? Um, <laughs> but Isabella is the
1: only one in... Thankfully.
0: America,
1: thankfully, and uh, it's really hard, like, fair play to, um, to people that are, you know, working full-time. I am a secondary school teacher, actually.
0: Yes, you're um, a home economics teacher. Yeah. i so, done home economics Sarah yeah. did you love it you don't seem surprised you could have been like oh really wow Brian I'm so surprised
1: no no I think lots, lots of people love no, like love home economics
0: as I'm, let me tell you when it comes to cottage pie I've done it for my junior cert and I think yeah. I got a B so I <laughs> am the guy when it comes to cottage pie and I've done it for a come dine with me and one come dine with me making the cottage yeah. pie I made for <laughs> my junior cert so there you go (laughs) so the answer is yes Sarah yeah I am good at it (laughs) two things before we finish up one how is your house so quiet when you have five children in that house (laughs) all at really young ages
1: I am down in Barry's office and yeah it's on one one side of the house thank God Um, and the twins are sleeping at the moment and then the other three, I haven't seen them outside. Usually they're out. They could even be put into like a, a muddy puddle and they'll have <laughs> jump out there for an hour. But no, we're lucky that we have space in the house. Uh, really lucky. And we've a good good outside that we can run around in. Um,
0: you also, Sarah, you've got such a big following on Instagram. And talk to me, your handle on Instagram is House by the White Thorns. Why that handle? Because when I seen it first, I was like, who or what is this what's you on about with this and it took me a few goes going house by the flat horns horns horny what's going on
1: <laughs> um so we're surrounded by white thorn trees so that's yeah. kind of why I just came up it was initially kind of a house account where it was just documenting like the inside of the house and different things that we did but it has
0: I suppose, turned into like a lifestyle,
1: home lifestyle. Yeah, like you,
0: the guts Um, are nearly 100,000 followers. Was that like, was that a slow burner for you with all the followers or did it all just kind of happen quite quickly for you?
1: It happened very quickly. So I set up the page two years ago, just two years ago. Um, And it probably happened quite quickly last year. Uh, I really enjoy it. I enjoy creating content and being creative. It actually just gives me a nice outlet to do
0: that. Sarah, thank you so much for this very open, very honest and sometimes emotional conversation. As I say to everyone, and when I flew into your DMs, I I did say, you know, of course, no pressure to have the conversation because they can be emotional and especially on a public platform so i always applaud everyone for their openness and of course for their honesty
1: thanks brian um it was so lovely to chat to you i think you are extremely insightful by the way um and a, i would find a lot of things in co- in common with what you said so uh, thank you for having me on and for inviting me on it was it was lovely it was it was actually really nice to have a chat even though i did cry a few times but it's that's good it's all therapy it's it's, it's nice
0: And Sarah, I'm insightful because I'm 150 years old. No,
1: you're not, you're definitely not 150 years
0: old. Sarah, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, darling. Sarah talks about grief in a way that really resonated with me. Her life is full of joy and happiness now, but there is still a part of her that wishes Kate could be there to experience it too. And though it's heartbreaking, to me it's a sign of great love. Kate was so adored and so important that Sarah still thinks about her every single day. Next week on Death Becomes Him, I chat to Zoe Houlihan. Zoe tragically lost her husband Brian on honeymoon in 2018 and opens up about the trauma of the incident.
1: The brain is a funny thing. It's a tricky little sucker sometimes. And I mean, it. it I was no longer in the hospital bed. I was in intensive care at the time, but I wasn't there. I was,
0: you know, in the car boot. Burning to death, trying to curl my legs up. But of course, my legs were not working at the time. I couldn't move my legs at the time. So even the, the process of trying to move was impossible and agonising. Um, there
1: were no longer. I wasn't in my little glass cubicle. I, you know, there were trees looming over me, burning trees looming over me. You know, on the verge of collapse.